Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Megan Hill. Megan, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Yeah, it's great to great to have you as always. Uh, can you catch us up on what's been happening with you uh, recently in your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry projects you're working on? Yeah, so I live in Western Massachusetts. My husband and I belong to West Springfield Covenant Community Church there, uh, where my husband is the pastor. We have four children and um, who are range from preschool to teenagers. We've just been uh, delighting in uh, fall in New England and uh, seeing the Lord bringing one season after the other. And um, the church has been doing well. Uh, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the, the Lord's grace, even in this past year and a half of the pandemic. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what the Lord will do in the future. Wonderful. Happy to hear that the church is going well and things are going well with you. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, devotional that you've written, Patience Waiting for Hope, why you wrote it? And how you hope it'll be received. Yeah. So um, I wrote uh, a 31 day devotional on patience. And the hope is that people who are looking to grow in the grace of patience would read it for the space of a month, one a day for a month. And that by walking through some biblical passages that we would get a sense of what patience is, um, define it and what motivations the scripture gives us to pursue patience. And then also that we would find help from the Lord uh, through his word to pursue patience, just sort of in the ordinary experiences of our lives where we're tempted to impatient. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really, really good. And it, it, guys, it's such a, it's an easy read. It's a good read. It, I think every page, correct me if I'm wrong, Megan, is, is just like a page. So yes. it's super easy to read and digest. It's, it's not um, difficult material to work through, but it is very practical material. It'll give you not only what the scripture teaches about the, this, the chapter, uh, or yeah, in each chapter it's covered, but it also give you a practical thought and you know reflection. So this series is this series is outstanding. Um, I think it's some of the most helpful. You know, it's not really like a mini book; it's more of like a, a short little book. So and you did a great job, as as I told you before we recorded and over email. So I really I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I think short things are probably good for people struggling with impatience. I know they're good for me. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, who wants, if you struggle with impatience, who wants to read a 300 or 400 page book? No, <laughs> <On> no. <patience. laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, all right. Well, what's so dangerous about impatience? How does it harm other people? Yeah. So I think impatience is probably one of those respectable sins that we tend to not put in the category of something that's really serious. But I think impatience is ultimately, first of all, it's questioning whether God knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, God has placed me in this place, in this situation 
I don't like it. I want to get out of it, whether it's traffic or waiting for my cancer treatment. You know, it can be a whole range of from sort of inconsequential to really life altering things. But when we're impatient in those situations, first, we're questioning, does God know what he's doing? And then I think that's harmful to the people around us because they look at us and they think, oh, she says she trusts in God, but clearly she thinks God is not doing the right thing here. And then I do think also it has implications for people around us when we're impatient with them, when we snap at spouses or coworkers or children um, who are, we perceive them to be slowing us down or frustrating us in some way. And it ultimately communicates a lack of love for them and an unwillingness to bear with them. Yeah, that's, that's uh, ouch. Um, if you can't say amen, right? It's ouch. Um, ouch. <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely have been guilty of this many, many times with with people. And, you know, the thing is, is that it, it does absolute harm to, you know, relationships. And um, I just have to remind myself, you know, afterwards, after I, you know, think about it again, I'm like, ouch, uh, then I have to repent. But it, it does harm because it, it breaks it breaks trust. Um you know, people, you know, in our, our position, especially with editing people, being impatient with people, it's hard sometimes because you're like, I wish you hadn't sent me that article or, uh, or you, you know, you're like, you know, privately you think that, but you're like, Hey, can, can, but you have to realize that we're here to like serve people and, and help them. And, you know, if that's a, it's a privilege. It's, it's not something that, that we, that, that we should take for, for granted. And um, I, I am so guilty of that. I, I often forget that. And then I have been harsh with people and then I've noticed that they don't really want to write for me or, uh, you know, talk to me as much. And, um, you know, that's, that's tragic. Cause that's the last, that's about the last thing that we would, we would want in our line of work. And it's, but it, but it happens. And, you know, it, it does harm to people. It does harm people in, in our local churches too, you know? So we just have to be mindful of, you know, every opportunity, every interaction with people where we're interacting with them. And we have to rem- remember that, you know, they're trust, they're trusting us, you know, as editors, as ministry teachers and our ministry leaders and whatever else uh, we have on the, on our plate. I have to, I'm preaching that to myself. I, I need that a reminder. Um, you know, especially on difficult days where I'm probably too emotional to, to with my parents and those types of things. I need that, especially just remember, maybe I better turn off that email and maybe I better turn off the social media. Um, and definitely I've learned to turn off the news. I don't watch the news anymore because um, otherwise, yeah, then I'll go on social media <laughs> and talk about what I think about that. So, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that doesn't do really anybody any good either. So, although people find it entertaining, so I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Is what James tells us. And I think that's a lesson for our age, for sure, for all of us. Yeah, for sure. How does uh, waiting on the Lord help us to learn uh, to cultivate patience? Yeah, I think, you know, the Bible, one of the terms that the Bible uses for patience is this idea of waiting on the Lord. And I think that's sort of fundamentally putting our trust in the Lord, no, trusting that he is sovereign, that he's the one who knows the end from the beginning and who controls all things, but also that the Lord is good. And that um, he's not 
sort of a disconnected uh, tyrant who's just sort of manipulating things from afar and doesn't care about them, but, but that the Lord is loving and gracious and kind and good. And so that um, he is in control and he's in control in this loving and good way. And so as we wait on him, I think we learn to trust his goodness and to trust his sovereign power in those seasons of waiting. And that every opportunity of waiting is an opportunity to say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why I'm waiting, but, but you know, and I trust that you have good purposes in it. Yeah. And, and, and waiting, like you're saying, it hurts, you know, it hurts. It, it hurts. It's, it's supposed to hurt. Unfortunately. Um, you know, I waited, I waited out outside of seminary seven years for uh, seven years after graduating to get a book contract. And I thought, Oh, I'm going to get, go through seminary. I've already written for all these places. So getting a book contract won't be that hard. Well, in God, in His kindness and His in His providence, He He was teaching me to wait, and and that's hard because you know we can get we like can get really despondent towards God and not even realize that, and that was true for me. I made book contracts uh, an idol in in my life. Um, I didn't even know that I had done it until after I got the book contract. Um, but then I realized. Then I thought about it. Why am I Why am I crying over this? I mean, it's okay to be happy, but I was like crying over this book contract. And then I realized, yeah, that's, that's not a good thing. Um, and no wonder the Lord was like, eh, I don't know that I want to give you that, you know? Uh, but the, the thing is, 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 is it hurts and, and that hurt is real, you know, whether that is, you, you don't have a kid or you're struggling with infertility or, or, or whatever that, that thing is waiting hurts. It, it hurts our it hurts our pride. It hurts our ego, and it and it should help. God wants to use that to, you know, humble us. You know, we're supposed to be humble, um, humble ourselves. Peter says, under the mighty hand of God. And you know, it's not that God isn't disinterested in us, like you said so well. And in His providence and His kindness, He's He's using that waiting to help us to to shape us, to mold us. Um, he you know He owns all of history. Um, we see that throughout the Bible and in and, and the characters and the narrative stories, especially he's, he's working in, in the midst of people's ordinary stuff of situations. You know, we read the genealogies and we're like, why are those even in the Bible, for example, but God was working in those like stories, you know, in the normal, ordinary stories of people's lives. And that's, that's a good thing for us. You know, it's good for us to remember that. And not skip over it like, man, that's boring. Well, it is kind of boring, but when you realize that those are real people that really lived in real history and God was working in their lives, you know, they had a story just like us. And Yeah, and I think there is a sense in which, you know, if we hadn't waited, there are things that we wouldn't know about the Lord. You know, in your example of waiting for the book contract, well, the Lord had just given that to you right away. You would have had no opportunity to reflect and examine why does this mean so much to me? Why am I so frustrated about this? Why, you know, but the waiting gave you that opportunity for self-reflection. I think that's been true in my own life. You know, we, um, the beginning of our marriage, we had a miscarriage. We wanted children. The Lord, you know, said, no, I'm not going to give you children right now and gave this opportunity for reflection. What am I depending on? What am I setting my hope in? How can I? And then also how we see the Lord's kindness in the midst of the waiting too. And we experience dependence on him, maybe in a way that we wouldn't, if we could seemingly could bring everything to pass on our own schedule. Yeah, that's, that's so good. How does patience help us to be slow to anger? Yeah, so that's another term that the Bible uses for patience is being slow to anger. And it's 
first of all, we see that it's the characteristic of God, you know, when the Lord reveals himself to Moses and proclaims his name in front of Moses, it's the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And so, when we are slow to anger with those people who make us wait, whether it's the person ahead of us in line who has, you know, 50 coupons and doesn't know what they're trying to buy, or, you know, it's um, the, the rebellious child who we've told of Christ and told of Christ and told of Christ, and they grow up and they continually reject Christ. And, you know, you know, it can be either sort of spectrum of people who require patience from us. And yet, you know, we can have confidence that when we are slow to anger with them, when we're willing to bear with them and be gracious and merciful to them and continually loving toward them, that that we're reflecting God himself and that we experience something of God in that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I remember uh, sitting in the one of my pastor's offices in Idaho and just remember him telling me, it was an offhanded comment about dealing with a difficult person and that I was dealing with at the time. And he said, begin to see that person through the, the chief shepherd's eyes. And that, that just hit me like a, a ton of bricks. And then he said, pray for that person. And I said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to pray for that person, <laughs> you know, but, but then, you know, as I was thinking about it, I, I did end up praying on the 30 minute drive back home to my house from church and then i kept praying and then i kept seeing what's happening here the difficult person is in the mirror here um that difficult it's not the person in the bible study that i'm leading that's the problem it's the person looking himself in the mirror every morning it's it's really me and then i began to realize okay that's going to help me to be more patient with with other people because i'm like you're talking like you just talked about self-reflection and self-examination it, it really it really does help us and if we would do that we would be so much slower you know on social media in our in our chats with other people just realizing hey you know what that other person we don't know what's happening with really with them at all and um you know our response i, I often say our response to other people and I, i'm guilty of this too by the way uh it, it is a reflection of you know really what we think of god and um it's it's convicting thought, you know. If you can't say amen, say ouch again. But it's it's uh, it's true, you know. You have to see people through the lens of the chief shepherd, and it's hard. It's hard when you have somebody seemingly questioning your your thoughts, your teaching, your whatever. But you know that sand. My, one of my mentors calls these people sandpaper people. And what you know, what does sand do? It, it rubs against things. And, you know, and God is using that person to rub against you. You know, ironing as Proverbs talks about that ironing sharpening iron. He's using that difficult person to, to shape you and to refine you. So, you know, again, you should be you should be thankful for that. And we're not thankful for that in the moment. And I'm not saying that it's easy to be thankful in the moment, but it does help us to in the moment to to recognize, hey, this. This is still a person I have to love and care about because they're made in the image of God. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, as you're saying, looking at someone through the chief shepherd's eyes, right, we know some of the ways that that difficult person is frustrating or annoying. We know some of their flaws. We know some of their sins. But honestly, we don't know the worst about anybody. And yet, right, who knows the worst about them? Well, Jesus knew the worst about them. Uh, Jesus knew it when he went to the cross for them. You know, every 
sin that we commit, every sin that everyone commits is in the mind of God, is not a surprise to God. And he knew each of those particular sins when he went to the cross for that person. And so we don't, we even, we only know just a few of the things that rub us the wrong way and we have trouble loving them, but Christ knows all those things and loves them with his very life. Mm, Yeah. I often say to my wife, thank you for loving me because I recognize I, I'm, I am the difficult person, you know, very yeah. often. And yep. uh, it's it's hard even like, you know, especially whenever I tell her about things with my parents and stuff. And I'm like, then I think later, I'm like, you know, that was probably pretty hard for her to see me so upset. So mm-hmm. I usually tell her most in my better moments, not every time, of course, but thank you for, thank you for, you know, loving me and thank you for caring, yeah. you know, yeah. thank you for saying, you know, when I'm sitting here in my office crying, you know, you're checking, come and check on me, which she can't really do very, very well, very often, because she's often in meetings, but she, but I know that she's up there and she can, can hear me. Yeah. And I know that she cares. Um, and that's, that's, that's a comfort, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so be, well, I guess the advice there is just be really intentional with people that especially, you know, recognize, you know, the, those people that are close to you, when you say they might put on a tough exterior and pretend that it didn't hurt them or whatever, but your hurtful words do do hurt and they do matter. And so just be really careful with your words and, and your actions. So. Well, how does understanding our time is short? It hel- Does it hel- help us have a right and a godly perspective? Yeah, it's interesting um, in, um, uh, in James, uh, James says, to be patient, this is in James 5, he says, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And it's interesting because James says, be patient because time is short. Jesus is coming soon, so you should be patient. And I think often we're impatient because we think time is short. You know, I don't have enough time to get to this appointment. I don't have enough time to get done everything I need to get done today. I don't have enough time to do what I want to do. And here I've been waiting to get married and I don't want to be single and time's running out and it makes us impatient. But James says time's running out. You should be patient. And that's kind of an odd juxtaposition. But I think what James is telling us is, you know, you only have so many minutes and acknowledging that helps us to see how do I want to spend those minutes and do I want to spend them going, God, why are you making me wait? I'm so frustrated or person in front of me. Why are you making me wait? I'm so frustrated. Or do we want to spend them cultivating the fruit of the spirit in our heart? And hopefully on our better days, the answer is, okay, if I only have so many minutes, I want to spend them cultivating the work of the spirit in my heart. And so I want to use even my moments of waiting to be moments that bring glory to God. Mm, that's that's so good. So so good. I'm often asked, Dave, how do you get so much done with the time that you have? <laughs> it's it's a big question. And and I think that I have this phrase, uh, you know, it's, it's well, I mean, it's not mine. It's works harder, not smarter. You know, it's it's just being intentional with the things and then working work to work I have this other phrase, work to work ahead. And what that means is that I'm working to get ahead in that I've already worked. So I'm now I'm just working to, to progress ahead. That doesn't mean that I'm not working on the things that, um, that I need to each day either. It just means that I finish those things and then I'm working ahead on those, those other things that I, that are coming down the pike that are going to be due. And that, that 
it's not just getting the things done that you need to, you know, whether you're, you might not be able to do that in your job. Like you may just get certain tasks. So, you know, and that's okay. And, and, but, but I've had to learn one of the big things that can help people, I think is, is just recognizing that you only have so many hours at your job or you only have so many hours after your, your work and just recognizing that that's okay. If you got done, if you worked hard that day and you got done that, you, you should be thankful for that. And, and and just just relax, you know. Don't feel like you have to kill yourself uh, and beat yourself up because I know, especially for guys, we we're guilty of that. We can we think, oh, I didn't get enough done today, and and so you know, then we're kicking ourselves, and and that just never does any any good for us, you know. It's just, it just it ends up leading to depression and a lot of anxiety and despondency, and um, so I'm always having to tell guys, stop beating yourself up. Be nice to yourself, you know, give yourself a break. You already work hard. Mo mo most guys that I know, they work really hard, probably too hard. And you just got to take a time, give yourself a time out there and give yourself a break, you know, cut yourself some slack a little bit and uh, and just relax. You know, I've, I've had to learn that myself after, you know, many years, especially in my 20s, I, I would just pound myself, pound myself. Uh, run myself even into my 30s and I and I struggled I burnt out three times and I just had to realize hey again self-examination back up here stop beating yourself up stop driving yourself into the ground you know you're gonna end up like Spurgeon dying in your 40s if you keep this up and it's 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 you know it's it's not a it's not a sign of godliness you know it's it's actually the opposite um you know it's not resting it's it's pushing yourself into the into oblivion and so yeah you're you're absolutely right you know it's it, it's just it's hard you know to to do that well but it's so important to to learn um what works for you you know what uh, uh what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for you you know all our, our jobs are different and and so you know to find out what works for, what i'm saying in there is find out what works for you and then and then do that you know with your time with your work you know you have to find out what and I, and I think we don't approach it we don't help people in that way um i've been i've been thinking a lot about this lately it just just in in our approach to discipleship it's like we're we're so focused on this approach to teaching people okay this is what you're supposed to do this is what i do and that's great but then we also need to come back and be like these are the principles behind that because people often will feel like, hey, I tried what you told me to do, right? But I failed at it. So are they going to trust us again? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know why they would. They, they probably will. But if we help them instead to help them understand the principles behind what works for us, I think that's, that's more helpful and in the long run will help them to not feel so like, hey, I tried what you said and I didn't, I wasn't successful, you know, so why? Why should, now I can trust you because now I understand really what you're talking about. Like I've had, I've had advice. Well, you should be more humble and more relationally mature. Okay. What is that? Can you spell that out for me? Like, give me an idea, give me an idea what you mean that, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to, trying to say there. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that in this book that we lay out just some sort of principles that can, people can apply to the various circumstances of their lives, because I do think you're right that 
patience comes up in sort of a whole range of situations and it's with other people and it's with God's providence in our lives. It's with people who genuinely are sitting against us and it's people who are just sort of weak and, you know, slow. And it's with really long drawn out life altering circumstances. And it's with just the little, you know, why is the line so long at the grocery store kind of things. And so I do think it's important to have sort of some principles, which is what the Bible teaches us that we then can apply as we seek the spirit's help to grow and patience in our lives. Yeah, that's really good. Well, I really like this part of the book. Uh, I don't know that if I did the question justice, so uh, sorry about that. But how how should we view God's classroom of teaching patience uh, for us over the course of our lives? Yeah, I mean, I think every opportunity that we have to wait is sort of God saying, here, come sit down let me let me teach you how to wait on me and let me show you that i'm good even in this waiting and so i think that we can view even little instances of waiting even that unexpected five minutes, you know, when the doctor's late for the appointment or whatever, you know, our kids are late coming out from school, even just those few minutes at a time as sort of school to kind of practice or maybe a sports practice or something to kind of develop our patience muscles. And how am I going to use this five minutes? Am I going to use it in grumbling or am I going to use it in seeking the Lord and his goodness and praising him or encouraging others or in prayer or, you know, and each of those little sort of lessons are things I think that help us to build that muscle and it helps us build the muscle for the bigger instances of waiting in the infertility, in the unwanted singleness, in the cancer diagnosis, in the, you know, job joblessness, in the, you know, whatever the bigger things are. If we sort of seize those little opportunities, I think it trains us for the bigger ones. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good. Well, how does patience help us approach our productivity each day? I know we kind of hit on this a little bit, but maybe you want to get into it a little more. Yeah, I think fundamentally we recognize patience helps us recognize that we're not in control and that God is the one who is in control. He exists outside of time, but he works in time. And so in he, he, you know, numbers our days and he establishes the minutes for us. And also he sets us in communities of other people with coworkers, with families in the church, with other people who are, you know, moving at a different pace than we are and that we have to bear with and adjust to and learn from. And so I think, um, you know, sort of one temptation when it comes to productivity, and believe me, I love a good productivity book, but is to kind of go, I can do this. And if I just get the right systems in place, then I'm going to accomplish so much. And I think patience and times of waiting teach us, you know what, you're not really in control and it's not really all about you. Um, you're dependent on others. You're dependent on the Lord. And so that we can focus, patience helps us to focus more on what the Lord's doing while we wait in our hearts than on what we can actually accomplish. Yeah, that's that's really good. And, you know, the, like you're talking about the productivity books, the temptation is then, oh, well, again, if I if I do whatever you're telling me to do in the book, then somehow I'll, I'll, I'll achieve the whatever it is, I'll, I'll achieve like the, the perfect, you know, balance between my work and, and whatever. And it's like, you know, like I was sharing earlier, it's like, you have to figure that out yourself because everybody has a different like point where they're like, I can't do anymore, you know? And, and 
where do you get, when do you get to that point and what do you, what do you do? Do you stop or do you keep going? Um, you know, over time, if you keep pushing that envelope, that, that, that will, that you might be able to increase it to some point, but then you're going to find that you hit, hit the wall and what are you going to do when you hit the wall? Um, you're going to end up not being able to do anything. And I've, I've been there. Uh, it's, it's not a fun place to go to. It's fun to maybe at first to see how far you can go down the line, but it, it ends up hitting, you end up hitting the wall. And so I, I'm not against productivity books. I'm not against being productive, but you have to be also realistic. And, and I think that's where productivity books don't uh, often succeed. They're not very realistic in, in their, in their, and they're not saying that they're unhelpful in their advice, just not very realistic in their advice, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, in what way is waiting on the Lord a blessing? Mm, yeah, the, it, that is, we're so accustomed, I think, to not wanting to wait and pushing back against waiting and resisting waiting and organizing our lives in such a way that we wouldn't ever have to wait, that it's hard for us to readjust and think, you know what, it it might actually be a blessing. Um, Lamentation says that the Lord is good to those who wait. And I think that we one of our duties in growing in patience is to recapture this sense of sort of expectation. Here I am waiting. Let's see what good I can experience from the Lord in it. Instead of pushing back and going, I don't want to wait. Waiting is not good. No, no waiting, Lord. But saying, okay, Lord, you've brought this waiting into my life. Now, show me some of your goodness in it. And it may be his faithfulness. It may be that he draws close to us by his spirit and we feel his presence in his word and prayer. And maybe that he, you know, gives us these gentle blessings along the way, maybe not the ultimate thing we were hoping for, but just his sustaining daily bread and daily mercies and the the presence of his people and the fellowship, you know, the fellowship of God's people, you know, that along the way, he gives us these blessings that we get to know more of him in it is often something that we would never experience if we were just going, checking things off our to-do list and getting everything done and thinking that we were accomplishing things. Yeah, that's 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 really what, what you're saying is 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 we need to think about the ways in which we are already blessed and by God and and be thankful for those things and you know that is that is such an encouragement um, because I think what ends up happening is people forget hey you may not have that you know you may not have that whatever that is your favorite hobby or or whatever so you may not have your favorite toy associated with that hobby for guys or you may not have that favorite novel that you want or whatever your favorite vacation or whatever but what do you have do you have a house do you have money in your bank account do you have a car do you recognize that even there you're you, you have more than uh you're in the one percent uh, of the of the entire world uh and just recognizing you know having the right realistic uh thoughts about you know what what's actually what you actually have and being thankful for those things those good gifts that god gave you uh, it's again ouch but also you know being thankful it, it's not a it's not an option it's it's actually a command um you know you go look up all the times that the bible talks about thankfulness and uh, it, it all goes back to god's character and recognizing who he is and what he's like and um you know just thinking about that will 
you know, if that doesn't get you to be thankful, I mean, we got to have another conversation here because like, I know when I do that for me, like, I'm just like, wow. Cause I can easily, so easily, like all of us just forget that. And, and it, it just helps me to remember. And my wife often does that with me when I forget, it's like, Oh, what do you have? This, 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 and that. Yep. I, I got you. Uh, I, I understand what you're doing now. Yep. Yep. She's like, you go think about that for a good while. And I'm like, uh, okay, I will. <laughs> all of these things and Jesus too, you know, and our salvation, of course, our greatest joy and delight. And there's no, no waiting, no deprivation, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And, um, and so that sometimes in seasons of waiting, when those things that we want seem elusive, it does focus us then on the salvation that we have in Christ and on the things that are most important. Mm, amen. Well, let's get into a little more practical, uh, not that we haven't been practical, but, you know, practically, what does it look like to deal with difficult people in our local churches? Yeah. And they, you know, as we've, as you've said already, you know, the difficult people are us. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, it starts by recognizing, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect either. You know, the church may have been perfect, but the day I joined, it started having a lot of problems. So, um, yep. So, you know, that that's part of it is just this spirit of humility and recognizing that I have my own weaknesses and sins that I contribute and my own failures and blind spots and, you know, places where I'm immature and slow to grow in grace and, you know, and recognizing that about ourselves, I think, is a is one of the best ways to start with being patient with others, um, because then we're starting from this position of humility. I think also cultivating love for people in our hearts and recognizing, as you said earlier, you know, these are people for whom Christ died. And so they are valuable to him and he loves them. And so in his power, we can love them too. And so then when you love somebody, then all of a sudden you're on the same team and you're not against them. They're not against you. You're both working for the same goal, ultimately for Christ's glory, but you also want their good. You want what's good for them just as you do for anyone that you love. And so, you know, their weaknesses or their sins are things that you're, you know, that that you, you really want what's good for them and you feel compassion for them rather than frustration with them. Now, I do think, I mean, to be clear, you know, there are people who sin against us and it, patience does not mean that you can't say anything to someone who sins against you. Patience doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, the proverbial doormat and just lay down and let people walk all over you and never um, say anything or never um, rebuke somebody or never come to somebody and say, hey, you sinned against me. Can we talk about that? I mean, again and again, scripture gives us um, examples and exhortation to seek, you know, to seek out people who sin against us and to you know, in whatever, in a variety of different ways, depending on the situation to address that. So I'm not saying that if somebody's sinning against you um, or if they're being abusive towards you, that you just have to bear up with it or whatever. But I do think no matter what the situation, our desire is that they would grow in godliness, that they would grow in love for Christ, that they would become more like Christ. And whether that requires just um, covering it with love, as the scripture says, or whether that requires um, seeking them out and confronting them about it, ultimately our desire is that they would know Christ and be more like him. 
Yeah. You know, in Galatians 6, 1, we're told to bear each other's burdens and thus fill the law of Christ. And even, even there, you know, we can take that back to Matthew 18 and, and understand, like you're saying, that the process isn't just, you know, we, we might think, oh, well, I talked to that person. So then I'm going to go to bring the, the witness uh, and then I'm going to take it to the church. And we read that in a sequential order, but there's there all of that. The, what does the gospel tell us? If we overlay that with the gospel, we understand that God has been patient with us. So if we go immediately go one, two, three, four, and then you're out. Have we, have we actually been patient with that person? Have we actually sought the goal of church discipline, which is, you know, restoration and reconciliation with God? You know, uh, 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 if you can't be, patience uh with people you're not doing what galatians 6 1 says and bearing with one another in in you know in love as as the scripture tells us to one another the over 50 times one another in each other because of, of what all because of what christ has as you said so wonderfully what christ has done for us and and that is is so important because you know, like we've said, that the difficult person is us in the mirror, but the difficult person could also be the pastor. It could be the elder. You know, I've I've had many experiences with uh, pastors and elders, and we're not going to we're not picking on pastors or elders here uh, on the show. You know, everybody knows that I love pastors and elders, uh, but but they're they're still people too, and they have difficult days and they have hard days, and just as everybody does, and. Um, you know, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, pastors and elders, they, they, they fail too. They fail to be patient and they fail to be loving. Um, they, they want to do their, their very best. And, but, but we all, we all fail, you know, whether you're in ministry or the, you're not, or, or, you know, you, you're a lawyer and you're dealing with a client or, you know, you're a social worker and you're dealing with a, a hard cl- client. Uh, we, we you you might fail in in patience and and it, and it just goes back to you know remembering you know some of these things that we've talked about and I remember I'll be very candid there was a situation that was really pivotal in my life and it happened to probably about six or seven years ago um, it was with this guy and this Bible study and I realized he one day we were meeting with the the uh, the head of the men's ministry um, and and he and I and this guy were in this room and I was on the men's ministry too. I was very connected to this guy. And, um, he, he ended up, he told me, I said, so what's the issue here? What, what issue do you have with, with me? And he said, you know, I like your teaching. I like the small group, but I don't know that you care about me. And I said, well, I pray for you. I care about you. And then it hit me. No. Then I had thought about what he had just said. And I realized what he what he was saying was he didn't feel that I personally he didn't I wasn't communicating in a way with him where he felt loved and valued and cared about. Mm-hmm. And if we if we will understand that, it will transform our relationship with the difficult person. It, and it won't just help us to see that we're that diff, we're the difficult person, but they're 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 not so difficult. Um, a lot of this has to do with. Uh, shrinking things, you know, complex and difficult situations are hard and they require a lot of wisdom and they require a lot of grace. But if we can take these types of things and shrink them down to the most basic thing and even ask ourselves the question, how, how can we make this situation even better? What is this person actually saying? Um, It makes complex situations a lot simpler and a lot uh, less difficult. 
And that's what I did. I recognized. And then I really started realizing once I, once I understood that, that um, all these other people in my life, if it, when it boils down to it, it's pretty much the same kind of situation in, mm-hmm. with, with them. You know, they, they don't feel that I care about them or I'm not communicating love and care to them. So they're, they're reacting to, to how I'm behaving. Um, and, and just recognizing that for me was huge. And I think it'll be huge for other people. I've seen that with other people too. Um, just being really slow. Like we talked about, like you said earlier in James one being, being slow to listen and, and, you know, not quick to speak and, you know, forbearing with one another because of Christ and, you know, um, you know, that, that should be the goal of, you know, of pretty much everything in our lives. Um, and it's, it's easier said than done. It hurts. It's hard. Um, it's not easy. Um, but it, 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 that's, that's what God wants us to do. So he empowers us to that end to, with the grace of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And with, that's why we have pastors and elders in our local churches to, to, you know, to help us. And they fail too. You know, I've been hurt by pastors and elders. So I'm in no way saying that a pastor or an elder is perfect. And any pastor or elder says they are is, you know, they're, they're not telling you the truth, you know. But, um, you know, I failed. I've been doing this 21 years, um, especially in my 20s. Uh, horror stories there where I've had, to, I've had to learn and repent and grow in many ways. But, you know, just, just recognizing these, some of these things that we're talking about, I think, will hopefully not only help, but equip people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Any, any, any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I think the, the, God gives us other people to teach us patience, right? Because, you know, if you just were, you know, a monk in your cell and you didn't have to interact with any other people, you would miss out on all these wonderful opportunities to grow in long suffering and in patience. And in that way, even to learn about God's long suffering and patience towards you. And so these people that are in our lives are, you know, we're put there for them so that they can learn some of these things about patients and they're put there for us so that we can so that we can learn as well and so we're sort of learning together about the long suffering of the lord as we're forced to you know do that sandpaper as you said with one another yeah yeah where where can people go to find out more about your work online um either on social media or otherwise yeah so i'm on social media um most of the various platforms and I work for the gospel coalition. I'm an editor there. And so I have a page there that has some of my work on it as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I encourage people to check that out and, and follow you on social media. Well, Megan, just as we wrap up uh, our conversation today, uh, do you have any takeaways? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important for us to recognize that God has grace for impatient people. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how to pursue patience, but it's never something that we sort of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we're relying on the spirit in us. And, you know, patience is one of the fruit of the spirit. And so it's not fruit that we produce, you know, squeeze out on our own. It's fruit that the spirit works in us and produces in us. And so the place to start with patience is calling on the Lord and going, Lord, I'm an impatient person please forgive me and please send your spirit to work patience in my heart and trusting that he loves to do that. And he will do that. Mm, so well said, very well said. Well, Megan, I've enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you so much for your time guys. Uh, Megan's new book is patience waiting for hope. That's what we've been talking about today. I encourage you to check out this great book. 
buy her and then check out the, the rest of the books in the series. Very, very helpful. Very well done. Uh, and, and Megan's actually written a book on contentment in that series too. So thank you so much, Megan, for your time today. Dave, it was great to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.